afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Future Offset Rights in New York and New Jersey, Who Pays for What and When. Hello, everyone. There I am. As usual, this is a live question and answer session, so feel free to post your questions in the box, and we'll get to them at the conclusion. Uh, so let's go over just a brief overview of what we're talking about today. So Section 29 and Section 40 credits and offsets. So we have it from Section 29 of the New York Workers' Comp Law, Section 40 of the New Jersey Workers' Comp Act, and Section 29 permits a credit and offset, whereas Section 40 references an extinguishment of future liability. And what we're talking about when we say credit and offset is the concept that the carrier can avoid future benefit payments to the extent of the claimant or petitioner's net third-party settlement. Uh, so we're going to be getting into some math here. Be prepared to roll up your sleeves, but uh, by the conclusion of this, we'll have demystified the boogeyman, and hopefully um, you'll all find this very useful and practical. So let's talk about Section 29 first. Uh, it's everyone's favorite case, Burns v. Variale. So Section Burns says that Section 29.4 provides uh, that the carrier is responsible for the deficiency between the claimant's actual recovery and the amount of comp provided or estimated under the workers' comp law. Uh, the carrier's total benefit from the third-party settlement includes a recoupment of their lien and a relief of the future obligation due to the Section 29.4 credit. And what Burns does is draws this distinction between speculative and non-speculative future benefits. But in either case, the carrier is going to be responsible for its ongoing equitable share of litigation costs. So without further delay. Let's get right into the math here. So non-speculative. There are only three types of non-speculative cases. Schedule loss of use, permanent total disability, and death benefits. So in these cases, because we know the number of weeks or we can uh, approximate them with reasonable certainty, i.e. like a life expectancy, the present value can be determined using actuarial tables. So in these non-speculative cases, the carrier is required to calculate the total benefit at the time of the third-party settlement. Remember, total benefit includes our lien and our extinguishment of future liability. So example one, claimant has a permanent total disability of $300 per week. Assume the present value of that is $200,000. The third-party case settles for $2.5 million. The current lien is $175,000. The attorney fee is $833,333 and costs are 15,000. So uh, for everyone participating in this webinar, uh, I'm gonna assume we're well past the point of calculating the cost of litigation, but just in case, step one, calculate it per Kelly. So that's the attorney's fee plus the cost and disbursements divided by the gross third-party settlement that equals 33.93%. So what is the total benefit to the carrier? Well, 175, i.e. Uh, the lien, plus the present value of future benefits, 200,000, brings us to 375,000. What is our equitable share on that total benefit? Well, that's our cost of litigation percentage, 33.93, times the total benefit, which is 375,000, that gets us to 127,237.50. So now we take our equitable share out from the current lien, 175,000 minus that 127 number, gives us 47,762.50. And then our last step here is to figure out what the net to the claimant is. So 2,500,000 minus 833,000 minus 15,000 minus 47,762.50 equals 1,603,904.17 net to the claimant. 
So in this type of example, where future benefits are not speculative, we figure out our equitable share of the total benefit up front, and then we take a complete holiday from payments going forward. But what happens when that lien reimbursement number actually falls in the negative? Uh, what happens when the total benefit exceeds the third-party settlement? Well, we actually become exposed to pay fresh money, and here's how this works. So assume the claimant has a permanent total disability of $900 a week. Present value, we're gonna go ahead and call it 600,000. Again, that's gonna be based on the life expectancy and use of actuarial tables. Uh, the carrier has paid 300,000 and uh, one third, I'm sorry, and the third party settlement is for 500,000 with 163,333.33 attorney's fee and 10,000 in costs. Calculate our cost of litigation percentage, 34.67. Calculate the total benefit, which again is lien plus present value. That's 900,000. What's our equitable share of that? Uh, cost of litigation percentage times 900,000 equals 31230. Uh, subtract our equitable share from the gross lien, so 300,000 minus 31230 equals negative 12,030. So what is the claimant's net in this situation? 500,000 minus attorney's fee, plus, uh, sorry, I should have taken the costs and disbursements out of there too, but, oh, I did. So yeah, minus attorney's fee, costs and disbursements, plus the fresh money we're paying of 12,030 equals 338,696.67. So um, we actually end up paying fresh money up front. Again, we take a complete holiday because this is a non-speculative benefit case. And when will payments resume, AKA you might've heard the term deficiency compensation. So deficiency compensation is the remaining benefits payable after our credit is used up. Uh, well, that's why we calculated the net to the claimant. So I'm gonna divide that by $900. Remember that's our weekly PTD benefit rate. That gives us 376.33 weeks. So after about seven years of this permanent total, permanent total disability uh, award, we're going to resume payment uh, at the full rate. There is no reduction. We'll have used up our credit at that point. Speculative future benefits, much, much easier, much, much, much more friendly. So, uh, and actually as a brief side note here, uh, the, court, the Court of Appeals and various appellate division decisions seem to be leaning more and more towards just applying burns going forward with this ongoing benefit rate at the one third. So let's just, you know, let's just keep an eye on that going forward. Uh, this whole speculative versus non-speculative might be on its way out, but anyway, uh, so this is a much easier uh, calculation, and you might have heard in some of your third-party settlement cases, both parties reserving rights per burns or claimant reserves rights per burns. This is what they're talking about. So assume a third-party settlement of $100,000, a Section 29 lien of 25K, an attorney fee of 33,000, and costs of 1,000. Very easy cost of litigation percentage, 34%. Uh, the reduction to our lien is 8,500. That's 34% of 25. The reimbursement is 25,000 minus uh, 34%, which is equal to 16,500. Uh, and then we have a $49,500 net to the claimant. This is our future credit. So let's assume the claimant gets a 25% LWEC and he's getting uh, 250 weeks at $300 per week. So under Burns, the carrier pays 34% of the LWEC payments, 102 per week and any medical until 49,500 holiday is extinguished. Uh, and assuming there is no medical, which is typical for permanency, uh, except for ongoing maintenance care, 
the holiday would expire after 165 weeks. 49,500 divided by our LWAC benefit rate of $300, and payments would resume at the full rate for the remaining 85 weeks on that original 250-week LWAC classification. So uh, basically, any situation where it's not an SLU death or permanent total disability, we're going to be working with the Burns rate, which is just the cost of litigation rate under Kelly, uh, applied on a weekly basis going forward. So uh, here's the meat of this presentation, uh, at least with regard to the New York component. Here are some important notes. So uh, a failure to expressly reserve your future rights when you consent to the third-party settlement, remember under 29.5, your written consent is required, that waives the right to your future credit and offset. So be very explicit about reserving that. Uh, I just mentioned about the ongoing maintenance care for medical. So under Bissell versus Town of Amherst and this board panel decision they cite to very frequently, Matter of Franciscan Health Management, I put the board uh, citation there from 2015. The claimant is going to pay meds out of pocket and then get reimbursed going forward. So this can be a basis for a CA.1B objection. If you receive a full bill from a provider and you're applying a Section, section 29 credit and you reserved future rights and even specified that, you know, this case would be subject to Bissell, well, the claimant is supposed to be paying for those out of pocket. So the way this works practically is actually the claimant is supposed to be paying out of pocket at one third, um, I'm sorry, the claimant pays out of pocket at the fee schedule rate, then they submit the bills and the treatment records and proof of payment to the carrier, at which point you become liable to reimburse them at the burns rate, which should be approximately one third of the fee schedule. Remember, we're still working within the fee schedule here. Uh, onto our next point, under matter of Stenson versus New York State Department of Transportation, the parties can agree to offset rights, uh, and Burns applies the way we just described it on the prior slide, absent an agreement. So you can agree to apply these future offset rights however you want. Uh, and what happened in Stenson was actually quite clever. Uh, the carrier accelerated its remaining Burns obligation. They figured out, you know, how much more they would have to pay before they were entitled to a dollar-for-dollar dollar offset paid that up front and then reserved the right to a dollar for dollar offset. And that is totally permissible. And we're gonna actually address that in a second. So under Williams versus Lloyd Gunther Elevator Service, uh, your offset rights can begin as of the date of issuance of a consent to avoid the lien changing in a global settlement. So what I mean by that is, say you have a third party settlement and you're negotiating a section 32 in exchange for a lien waiver. Well, if you continue to pay under a, a directive to continue payments, the CCP, in the interim between that agreement and the Section 32 approval hearing, your lien's going to increase. In other words, the thing you're waiving to fund that Section 32, the consideration has now changed. You're now waiving more than what you had agreed to waive at the outset. To avoid having that happen, you can specify that you're going to use your credit rights as of the date of issuance of your consent agreement. And what's kind of uh, neat about this is it's the one situation outside of Section 32 where the claimant can actually kind of waive benefits, and even though you have to expressly state that that's not what you're doing here. But you can suspend benefits, and yes, you can suspend benefits, even though there is a CCP, if the claimant and their attorney agree to it, you just have to make sure to file that Troy indicating suspension of benefits. That goes for any time you suspend. Um, so. While the gross benefit should be deducted, uh, many attorneys and judges are unaware of this. So you might have seen on those prior slides where I said uh, 
how do we figure out when our credit ends? I was dividing it by the full amount of the weekly permanent total disability rate instead of dividing it by 600 because, you know, we're paying two thirds and, uh, or I'm sorry, instead of, yeah, we're, the credit we're taking is actually for two thirds and we're only paying one third of it. Instead of dividing it by 600, I'm dividing it by um, 900, which is the full benefit rate. And the reason for that is, if and we mentioned this in the section 40 webinar last month, if you actually uh, don't deduct that amount, the full amount, including the one third, um, from your credit, you're actually not paying for any portion of the claimant's litigation spent expenses on future benefits. If you think about it practically, you're going to continue to take a credit for amounts that uh, realistically should have been deducted for the credit, and that's why we end up deducting the gross amount on a weekly basis. Now, while that's how it's supposed to work legally, and if you get push pushback from claimant's counsel, that's how it's supposed to work. Uh, many judges uh, and attorneys are unaware of this, and they will think that you're only supposed to deduct from your credit the amount you're actually taking credit for, which on that $900 weekly benefit, remember we're only paying 300 of it under Burns going forward, or um, that, you know, assuming it's a uh, speculative future benefit, we're only paying 300, so you would think logically, since we're only taking credit for 600, that's what should come off. If you can get away with that in your consent agreement and you're very explicit about it, that that applies notwithstanding Burns, great. You can agree to whatever you want, thanks to matter of Stenson. So just keep that in mind. Um, you can satisfy Burns up front. That's what happened in Stenson. Uh, you can agree to pay out, uh, you know, your future share to get up to the claimant's actual litigation costs and then take a uh, complete holiday. Or that can actually happen over time. So remember that your Burns obligation is never more than the claimant's actual litigation costs. So whatever their attorney's fee and costs and disbursements are in the third-party settlement, if the reduction to your lien plus your ongoing burn pay Burns payments equals that amount or exceeds it, you're taking a dollar-for-dollar dollar credit going forward. If you think about it logically, it doesn't ever make sense um, that you should pay for more than the claimant's actual litigation costs as part of your equitable share. So you can satisfy that up front. Um, again, that's what, that's what they did in Stenson. You can do that over time with ongoing Burns payments, uh, or the claimant can waive Burns, uh, even, even if you don't have that initial payment up front to satisfy your Burns obligation. So there are a couple of ways to take a dollar for dollar offset, even though Burns applies. And finally, beware uh, matter of Terra Nova. Uh, this, there is an actual pay-as-you-go process and expectation. So if you're carrying a third-party settlement forward and then there's an SLU, yeah, you're going to have to do that non-speculative benefit calculation uh, using the third-party settlement as it exists at the time of the SLU. Uh, I will float this out there. For anyone that needs to know more about how this works, it's all in our lovely New York Risk Transfer Handbook. Uh, feel free to send me an email or give me a call after the presentation, and I will be happy to send you a copy. So this is all laid out explicitly. All right, New Jersey Section 40, here we go. So uh, subsections B and C address what happens when the third-party settlement exceeds the lien or when the lien exceeds the third-party settlement. So subsection C is the uh, latter scenario. If the lien exceeds the third-party recovery, the carrier is entitled to reimbursement to the extent that the lien exceeds the difference between the lien and the third-party settlement plus attorney's fees and costs. That's pretty much how it's worded in the statute. 
It's uh, a little bit of a wacky calculation, but by the conclusion, you're gonna see the easy way to do this. So uh, here's a subsection C example under section 40. $100,000 lien, $25,000 third-party settlement, $500 in costs, 8,333 attorney's fee, AKA one third. So under section 40C, calculate the difference between the lien and the third-party recovery. 100,000 minus 25,000 equals 75,000. Add the costs and fees from the third-party settlement uh, to that difference. 75,000 plus 8,333 plus 500 equals 83,833. Then you calculate the extent to which your lien exceeds that difference plus costs and fees. 100,000 minus 83,833 equals 16,166.67. And that means you get reimbursed out of that third party settlement, uh, $16,166.67. Now, uh, here's the big easy way to do this. That is exactly the same calculation as if you had just asserted a lien on the entire third party settlement after costs and fees. So basically subsection C sends you on this uh, wild goose chase to arrive at a pretty common sense determination, which is if your lien exceeds the third party settlement, yeah, claimant's counsel or rather petitioner's counsel gets to uh, still deduct their costs and fees from the third party settlement, it's only fair but you have a lien on the remaining balance. And if anyone ever questions it, you can walk them through this math. But you're entitled to every red cent of the third party settlement if your lien uh, exceeds the third party settlement, less petitioner's counsel's costs and fees. All right, section 40B, release from liability for future benefits. Uh, don't worry, we're gonna demystify this one too. So uh, this applies when the third party settlement exceeds the lien. Under section 40, the lien consists of medical, temporary disability, and permanent disability. Uh, the reductions to our lien are capped at one third for the attorney's fee and 750 for expenses of suit. Uh, that 750 number is becoming increasingly irrelevant and I anticipate the legislature changing, changing it sooner than later. Most attorneys, especially in you know, large product liability cases, your expenses are gonna be in the tens of thousands. So I don't think 750 is long for this world, but you know, let's accept the windfall while we have it. Uh, so here's an example. Total lien at the time of the third party settlement uh, is $300,000. The third party settlement is 100,000. The attorney's fee is 33,333, uh, exactly one third, and costs and disbursements are 5,000. So let's calculate our reimbursement. 30,000 less a third, which is 10,000, less 750, 19,250. Calculate the petitioner's net, 100,000 minus the attorney's fee, minus costs, minus the lien reimbursement, 42,416.67. So because the third party settlement exceeds the lien, we get reimbursed 19,250 and we get released uh, from the liability for future workers' compensation to the extent of the petitioner's net, which is 42,416.67. Well, how does the release from future liability work? And now we start to get into the weeds just a bit. So Owens versus CNR Waste Material, this hateful case from way back when, uh, we accelerate our share of litigation costs in permanent total disability cases. In other words, you figure out what one third of the future award is and you pay it up front, and then you take a uh, complete holiday. Uh, we have this Andrichuk versus Elmora Bake Shop. This is an appellate division decision. Uh, even when the future share is accelerated as in Owens, the petitioner's reopener rights are calculated from the date the permanent partial disability payments would have ended. So you count two years from the last week. 
that would have been payable under the award. Uh, Fiori versus Trident Construction Co. Uh, there is no federal social security disability offset on that accelerated Owens payment, that one third you pay up front, because uh, you are released from liability after paying your pro rata share up front. And this is not a commutation of compensation, nor is it a payment of compensation. It is a contribution to litigation costs. So uh, these cases have given rise to an argument by petitioner attorneys that acceleration of the carrier's future share of litigation costs, uh, i.e. one third of the balance of the future award, is required in all permanency awards. There's some dispute occasionally as to whether Owens applies just to PTD cases or PPD cases as well. Um, but here's the good news, that doesn't really matter because you can uh, agree to whatever you want. So here's how we are going to make this very, very easy. Three simple words when dealing with a section 40 credit. Work in weeks. So here's what I mean by that. If the petitioner has an ongoing uh, PPD benefit payment, so the comp claim resolved first, uh, try to agree in writing when the third party action settles to ongoing payments at a one third rate. Uh, this is more favorable to you because you never know when you might not be paying those benefits going forward. Maybe the petitioner passes away. Uh, so if you can get your adversary to agree to this, Fantastic. Uh, that's what we're going to be doing. Um, if both claims resolve simultaneously and the adversary will not agree to a one-third rate going forward, uh, can you satisfy your Owens obligation with a partial lien waiver? Yes, this is something you can do. If you have something of a global settlement, you can waive a portion of your lien to satisfy that one-third of future benefits uh, and then take a complete holiday going forward. Uh, your worst case scenario is you're going to pay one third of the award up front in fresh money, but uh, you should still document the extinguishment and reopener date in the order. So when will you resume benefits at the full rate? And now we're going to get to what I mean by work in weeks. So if the third party case resolved first and we have a credit, the petitioner's net from the third party settlement that exceeds the total permanency award, the petitioner gets one third of the award uh, and the full award amount for the same reasons I discussed earlier with Burns, gets deducted from our credit. And the remaining credit carries to a reopener, which again is two years from the date of the last PPD payment when it should have been made. If the permanency award has not accrued in full, uh, meaning not enough time has passed since the last payment attempt, uh, we accelerate to the extent of exhaustion of our credit, and then we pay the remainder once due. And before I explain how this all comes together, I'm gonna get to this last example. Again, this is absent an agreement to the contrary, and parties can agree, can agree to whatever the judge will approve. So what do I mean by work in weeks? Well, whenever you're dealing with the credit, all you gotta do and with Section 40 in New Jersey is look at how many weeks are on the award and look at how many weeks come out of your credit. Is your credit more than enough to satisfy uh, the total award? Great, then you just deduct the entirety of the award from your credit and you reserve the remainder for reopener rights. Uh, if a certain amount, if you have a, um, if the third party case resolved first and the credit exceeded the total permanency award, um, the petitioner gets one third up front and the amount gets deducted from the credit. But if the permanency award has not accrued in full, you accelerate to the extent of the credit exhaustion. And again, we're just going to do this in terms of weeks. So say you have a uh, $60,000 credit going forward and the weekly benefit rate is $600. 60,000 divided by 600 equals however many weeks. Uh, I wanna say it's 100. 
Um, and then after 100 weeks go by, you resume benefit payments at the full rate. Uh, so it really doesn't matter whether uh, the entire award has accrued or not, or whether you're paying on a weekly basis. Again, negotiate ongoing one-third rate if you can. If you can, it really doesn't matter how this settlement gets split up, provided you just keep it simple and work with weeks. What is the weekly benefit rate? How many weeks are under the award? How many weeks away from payments, uh, if you're dealing with Owens? How many weeks of a holiday from payments does your third-party settlement credit buy you? Uh, if the third-party settlement credit is huge, you just deduct the entire award and pay one-third up front. It's really quite simple if you just narrow the issue to uh, the weeks and the benefit rate and just address your third-party settlement credit from that standpoint. So we'll go very quickly through a full Section 40 example just for fun. Uh, so the carriers paid $45,000 in med and temp. Third-party action settles for $150,000. So we're dealing with a Section 40B credit here. Third-party counsel's expenses of suit total 500, and their fee is one-third. Reimbursement due to us is 29,500. That's two-thirds of 45k minus 500. Net to the petitioner is 70,000, 115,000 less one-third, uh, less $500, less lien reimbursement. Uh, the parties agree to. Let's just say the parties agree to a Section 22 order approving settlement, uh, and it's a permanent partial disability award of 150 a week for 250 weeks equal to 37,500. At this point, either the parties agree to a one-third ongoing payment or Owens must be accounted for in the order approving settlement and you accelerate. Uh, if the parties agree, you pay $50 a week while deducting 150 weekly from the balance of the credit. Great, very easy. If the adversary insists on Owens and technically they are correct, uh, you pay 12,500 to the petitioner upfront in fresh money under the order approving settlement and then you make no PPD payments. You deduct the full PERM award from the balance of the credit, so 70,000 minus 37,500 equals 32,500 available for a reopener offset, which again would be two years from the date the last PPD payment uh, should have been made. In other words, 250 weeks uh, after the last date temp was paid. So here's some credit and offset best practices. This one was a little long, but again, we got into some math. Uh, know the law and know your numbers. Be familiar with Burns, be familiar with Owens, uh, and make sure you actually know how the math works. I always insist on getting a closing statement so you have confirmation of the costs and fees. Work it out with Petitioner and Claimant's Counsel in advance. Don't leave it up to the workers' comp law judge or judge of compensation unless necessary. In other words, you can't agree and you need a determination as to how your rights apply. Uh, while our consent is not required in New Jersey, I strongly recommend preparing a detailed consent letter in both jurisdictions to avoid any confusion. Uh, and that's for the reasons we described before. Are you doing a Burns waiver? Are you accelerating Burns? Are you doing Owens? Are you avoiding Owens and doing a one-third ongoing payment? However you structure this, make sure to get it in writing. Uh, the consent letter should specify the extent of your credit, i.e. the petitioner's net or claimant's net, how it is being applied, uh, when benefit payments will resume, i.e. deficiency compensation, et cetera. Uh, have a system in place to track your deductions if the credit is being taken on a weekly basis. And finally, ensure that the credit is memorialized in either an order in New Jersey or a formal consent agreement in New York. So let's see if we have any questions before we wrap up for this month. I have to figure out how to expand this thing.
Bear with me one moment. I thought I could just. For some reason, it is just uh, docking it whenever I go to expand it to see what the questions are. So uh, if you have any questions, uh, I apologize that I am not able to view them at this point. Let me try one last thing here. Uh, here we go, questions. Oh, uh, there we go, finally got it to work, and spoiler alert, I was clicking on the wrong thing. Uh, do you have a book for New Jersey like you do for New York? The answer is yes and no. Uh, no in the sense that I can't send it to you today, yes in the sense that it is in the process of being drafted as we speak. So uh, the next edition of this book will have both New York and New Jersey, so stand by for that, uh, and feel free to reach out once it's published and I can send you a copy. For now, all we have is New York, and I can offer you my time. If you have ever any questions, just give me a call or send me an email. I don't see any questions other than that, so I'm going to go ahead and wrap up here. Uh, thanks for tuning in, everyone. Hopefully I'll see you again next month, and uh, happy spring.